We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10, as I mentioned earlier, and so if you, uh, you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, it's, uh, it's New Testament, um, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then we get into 1 Corinthians. And I've um, been walking through this since, uh, since the end of last summer, and uh, took a little break over Christmas time, and, um, and now we're back into chapter 10. And what we're really going to look at today is uh, there's this tendency for people in general, and, and for Christians as well, uh, we kind of have a lean one way or the other. We, we kind of lean towards, uh, there's different ways that people describe it. Some would, would call it legalism versus license. Some would say law versus grace. But all of us have a, have a tendency to kind of prefer or think or lean in one direction or the other. And, and so here's what I mean by this. If, if you tend to lean towards uh, legalism, towards the law, you want to know what the rules are. You want to make sure you're coloring inside the lines. Um, you know, full disclosure, this is kind of where I fall. And so a lot of times on Sunday morning, I'll be coming down Horsham Road and I'll get to uh, where it connects with, um, I think it's at Lime Kiln, where the Wawa is there. And they have that light set up wrong, where it's always red. And you sit there and it won't change. And so the legalist in me says, even though it's 4.30 in the morning and there's nobody else out here, I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait this thing out. And I have run it a few times, but, um, but I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad when I do it, um, right? But, but as, a, as somebody who veers towards law, I want to know what the rules are. And I want to make sure that I'm staying in the rules because I believe that the path to happiness is staying within the rules. The other uh, people uh, lean towards freedom. They say the reason, the way that we get uh, enjoyment, the way that I find peace in life is if I can be free of rules, if I can be free of restrictions, if I can throw off all boundaries, that's how I'll ultimately find satisfaction and peace. And, and in the gospel of Jesus, when we come to it, there are elements that appeal to both of those personalities, right? There's, there's elements of the, of the Christian faith that, uh, man, if, if we announce that we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments, people are like, yes, all right, ten weeks of the, what rules I need to follow, and that's, man, that's my zone. Uh, for other people, it's like, hey, we're going to spend a bunch of time just deep in Ephesians chapter 2 talking about how it's not by our works, but it's only by, by faith alone, through grace alone, and, and, and there's no restriction, right? So we, we, we find, and sometimes if we're not careful, we hear what we want to hear, and we kind of zone out the other part. Um, and, and so one of the things that I want to present to you this morning, just to help you kind of think through this, um, Joanne, if you throw the slide up, there's a, um, uh, this is a, a gospel presentation that we've been using recently. It's part of the, the walk workbook that we're doing, uh, but it's a little bit different than, than most other gospel presentations that I've seen, and there, there's some elements of it that I really like, and I've got a couple of these booklets up here. If you want one, if, if what I share here in the next couple of minutes connects with you, feel free to grab one of these and take it and share it with somebody else. But, but the way that this gospel presentation talks about it is it basically says that God created us to walk on, on the path of life. It says in um, Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so basically, when Adam and Eve were created, they were walking along the path of life. They were in perfect relationship with God. They had perfect fulfillment, perfect joy, perfect peace. Uh, they had assurance. Uh, they, they were walking as they meant to, were meant to walk. And then, as we know, uh, in the Bible, that Adam and Eve chose a detour. They chose to go down their own path. They knew what God wanted them to do. He said, eat of any tree that you want, but do not eat of that tree. And they chose to eat from the tree. They took a detour off of God's path. And, and 
each of us does the same thing. We know what's right, and we choose to do wrong. Even if we've never heard, even if we've never read the Bible, even never heard the gospel proclaimed, it tells us in, in Romans that creation uh, reveals to us the goodness of, of our creator God, and each of us chooses in our own way to rebel against that, and that rebellion is called sin. And, and in this depiction, it's, it's going off of the path. And, uh, and so this continues on to say that once you're off on your own way and you go down the path, you end up and you hit uh, a roadblock. You end up at a place where you realize that this path that you've chosen is not a good path. It's not taking you to joy. It's not taking you to fulfillment. The things that you thought were going to bring you happiness are not bringing you happiness. And you hit this, this sort of dead end, this crisis moment, this roadblock. Many of us have experienced this. And that's where when you hit the roadblock that the cross of Jesus comes in. And Jesus reveals to you that he can bring you back to the Father's path. He can bring you back to a life of meaning and hope and purpose by getting back on the path. And you have a choice in that moment. At the cross, you can see there's those little arrows going down. You can continue on your own way. But the only way to get back to the path of life, to a right relationship with God, is through Jesus Christ. And then he puts us back onto the path. Now, here's what I like about this relative to what we're talking about right now. When we think about God's rules and God's ways as the path, to, to find purpose and peace and assurance, then rules aren't restrictions. They're not limits. They're not fences. They're the paving blocks of the roadway that we need to walk down to get the life that we really want. And, and when you view it that way, certainly you have freedom. Jesus has freed you from the shackles of sin, and he's freed you. But if you really understand it, why would you want to walk on any path other than the path that has been revealed to you to lead you to peace and happiness, right? And so, so, there's, uh, so when you think about it this way, it doesn't sort of pit, um, I'm going to keep this one, uh, it doesn't pit freedom and rule-keeping and obedience against each other. The, the Christian walk is a walk of freedom to obey God more fully and experience the peace and the joy and the hope that he wants for you. And in our better moments, we've all experienced that, right? But in our lesser moments, we, we recognize that we get off the path and we need to continually allow Jesus to bring us back onto the path. Now, I share all this to say that uh, through 1 Corinthians, uh, especially leading up to Christmas, uh, Paul was talking and addressing a lot those that are the rule keepers, right? They're like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Um, and, uh, and they're the ones that, that, that they want things to be a certain way, and, and, he, and he's telling them, like, hey, you're really, and, and there was this big issue of meat, like what meat they could eat in Corinth, and if you haven't been here, and you just came recently, welcome, and you're probably like, what are you talking about, right? Like, what, what's the deal with meat, right? But the problem was in Corinth at that time, meat, uh, most of the meat that was available had been offered as sacrifices in these pagan temples. They bring the sacrifice, they offer it, they have these feasts, they give some to the pagan priests, but there's this excess of meat, and so they take it and they sell it at a discount into the market. And so when you go into the market, you don't know if you're eating meat that is clean or that's been sacrificed to an idol, and, and the people that are more legalistic are saying, well, what if I accidentally eat something that was offered to an idol? Is that going to taint me? Is God no longer going to love and accept me? And and he's trying to communicate to them, no, like God's love and acceptance for you is based on what Jesus has done. It's not based on whether you eat meat. It's not what you put into the body uh, that does it. And so he's been hammering home that point for a while, but now he turns the corner to those that would really take advantage of the grace and the freedom that he's offered. And he says, hey, yeah, yes, you're free, but be cautious with what you do with the freedom that you've been granted. And so, so that, that sets us up for where we're entering into um, 
in, into chapter 10, and, and, and I mentioned the prodigal son, and I'll just say this. Imagine, you know the story of the prodigal son. He went away. He wasted all his money with, with prostitutes and with, with extravagant living until he had nothing left, and he was in the pigsty. He hit, that, he hit that roadblock, and then he went and he returned to the father, and the father threw a big party for him, and he welcomed him in. Now, I never really thought about this until I was just thinking about this this week. You could argue that it's like, man, was the father enabling him, right? Because his vices were, were lavish living, and like, you know, he liked to party, and he liked good food and good wine, and when he came home, what's his father do? He throws him this big party. And the older brother's like, man, you never threw me a party, and I've been keeping rules all this time trying to, trying to get to happiness. Well, um, so the brother goes into the party. Now, here's the question I would ask you. 10, 12, 14 days down the road, if that younger brother who was accepted back, welcomed back into the family with open arms, if you find him down at the local saloon hanging out with those same people that he used to hang out with, that same crowd running up a tab on his father's bill, what would you think? You think maybe, maybe he didn't get it, right? Maybe, maybe he, he came home, but maybe, maybe he still doesn't understand the love of the Father. And it's the same way for us if we, if we embrace the freedom that Jesus has given us, but then we turn around and we run back to the same things there's a level at which we're just not getting what he's freed us from. We're, we're willingly taking a detour off the path of life, and we're entering into to slavery again. And he doesn't want us to do that. And so, uh, so Paul begins in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he says this. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, this is one of those passages that when you come to in your daily reading, you're probably like, okay, I don't understand that. I'm just going to keep reading. <laughs> um, and so let me try and unpack it a little bit. It, um, so what he's talking about here, uh, he's, he's pointing out to them that uh, the Corinthians— that were taking advantage of their freedom, were saying, hey, look, I was baptized into a relationship with Jesus. I come each week and I take of the Lord's Supper. I, I eat the bread and I drink the cup. And so I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm secure. Like I'm, I'm all set up. Everything's good. And, and so he's pointing to them and he's saying, hey, do you remember the nation of Israel? Um, remember how they were in a relationship with God through Moses? That, and he actually says that they were baptized into Moses by being under the cloud. The cloud was God's presence that led them out of the land of Egypt. And then he took them to the edge of the Red Sea, and he parted the Red Sea, and they walked through on dry land. And he says, hey, you're putting a lot of faith in your experience of baptism, but the Israelites had a, an experience that they could put a, a lot of trust in. Like, are we God's people? Yeah, I think so. His cloud is hovering over us. He led us through the ocean on dry land. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm one of God's people. They were putting a lot of, of faith in the fact that, like, no, I show up to church and I take the Lord's Supper and I drink the, the wine and I eat the bread. Like, that, uh, that means I'm good. And he says, hey, you remember the people in the, when Israel was in the wilderness? God made manna come down from heaven. If, if you're not familiar with this, they were wandering in the wilderness. They had no food. And every morning, like, the dew that forms on the grass, this, this bread, this miraculous bread would form, and they would go out and gather the bread, and that's what they ate. That was their sustenance. That's what they lived on. And when they were thirsty and they, and they needed water and there was no water, Moses, two different times in their journey, was able to strike a rock and water 
came out and flowed out. And it says in Scripture that that, that, that was the, the, the grace of Christ, that Christ actually provided that water for them. And so he says, hey, that's awesome that you take the Lord's Supper. You should do that. The bread and, and the wine, that unites you with Christ. But the Israelites had a, a really uniting experience with God as well. They ate bread that he provided from heaven. They drank water that flowed out of a rock. They were pretty tight with God. And yet, despite all of those things, he was displeased with many of them. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. In essence, he's saying, if you think that just because you've been baptized and partaken in the Lord's Supper, that you're now bulletproof or invincible or incapable of, of drifting from God, you're mistaken. That we still need to watch the way that we live carefully. We must continue to walk on the path of the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 6, Now these things took place in his example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Uh, the, the things that are recorded in Scripture, they're recorded as history, but they're also recorded for our benefit. And so not only do we have the benefit of seeing what happened with the Israelites, but now we also get to look at what happened with the Corinthians. And God is saying, look at the Israelites. Look what they did. Look what happened. Look, look at the Corinthians. Look what they did. What happened? Don't make the same mistakes. Don't fall into the error that they fell into. And so he begins to list these sins that they fell into that, that we're prone to, too, if we're, if we're not careful. The first one is idolatry. In verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And what he's quoting there is from Exodus 32, when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. But they didn't know that, right? We live on this side of history. We understand what Moses was doing up on the mountain. For them, Moses disappeared up on the mountain, and they're like, is he ever coming back? Like, maybe he died up there. He's been gone for a while. Like, what's going on? And so the people got restless, and so they went to Aaron, and they said, Aaron, make us a god to worship. And, and you know, you wish Aaron would have been like, no. <laughs> but Aaron said, all right, give me all your gold earrings and your nose rings. And he took them, and he melted them down, and he made a calf, and they, and they started to worship. And it says that they, they ate and drank, and they rose up to play, and, and they weren't playing hopscotch, and they weren't playing, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, they're, they're, the commentators tell us that this, this has like a, um, uh, an adult content to it, right? That, that they were engaged in promiscuous activity that when, when Moses came down, uh, and it's funny, I mean, they were partying it up because when Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain, he's like, hey, I think I hear the sound of war. And he's like, no, that's not war. That's, that's them partying. That's them singing and whooping it up and going crazy, right? Uh, and so, so they made this idol to worship our hearts are, are idol factories. We want to worship. We were made to worship. And if we don't worship God, we will find something else to worship. And we see that on display here. But, but we do the same thing. And, and it's funny. When Moses asked Aaron about it, he's like, he's like, who did this? And he's like, man, they gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire, and this calf popped out. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so there's a whole different lesson about blame shifting we'll get to in another time, right? But um, but we do this. We don't, we don't make golden calves, but, but we do fashion idols. And, and so a lot of times, idolatry is not worshiping Satan, right? Like most of us don't have some sort of goat statue in our home that we worship. But what we do is we claim to worship God, but we do it in our own way. We make a God in our own image, and we determine how we want to worship him, and then we go and worship him in a way that's acceptable to us rather than looking to what he describes in Scripture. It's making anything, even good things, into an ultimate thing. And so the way that you can tell that you're engaging in idolatry is that in order to deny your idol, you choose to sin instead. Right? You know what God wants, but you know what, what's going to 
to lead you to get more of what you want, whatever that idol is, and, and you choose to walk off the path and to walk towards the thing. I, uh, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, um, in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Uh, I grew up with rock star aspirations, right? Like I wanted, to, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to make a difference in the world. And, um, and one town over was York, Pennsylvania. There was a band called Live that came out of York, Pennsylvania. It was like the only... Um, significant thing that ever came out of York, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened that I had some friends who knew those guys. And so I'm like, man, here's my in. Here's, here's my connection. Here's how I'm going to get to my idol of fame. And so what happened is that, um, that I started getting invited into things that were off God's path, to go places that I shouldn't be going, to hang out with people where things were happening that shouldn't be going on. And, and I was tempted to walk away from God's path and walk on that path because my idol of making something of myself, of, of achieving fame, of, of being someone was pulling on my heart. And unfortunately, a co-worker, one night I was, I was, I was weighing whether to, to go to this, this thing, and, um, and she looked at me, and she's like, you're not going to do that. She's like, that's not who you are. She wasn't a Christian. I don't even think she knew me that well, but she's like, you're not doing that. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. It's like a wake-up call. What is it for you? What is it? What, what, what's the thing that pulls on your heart that you feel like, man, when that, when that opportunity arises, when that thing comes, I kind of push God to the back burner. I kind of, I kind of put my blinders on. I kind of look the other way. I start rationalizing and justifying. I start, I start trying to think of ways that I can possibly make this acceptable because it's what I really want. And he says, if you walk down that path of idolatry, you don't realize it, but you've, you're walking away from God. Yes, you've been saved. Yes, you've been redeemed. Yes, yes you've, been, you've, you've been given freedom. But, but when you begin to engage in idolatry, you turn your back on the one to, that, that saved you to the point where you could reach a point where you wonder if you ever knew him in the first place. The second thing that he points out is, is sexual immorality. And we, and we talked about this at length in the first half. And I'll mention that... Um, I, I got to put these ads out every once in a while. So we have all our videos, like every sermon, we record a video and we put it on our website and it's also on YouTube. And, and about once a week, somebody's like, what? You, there's videos? <laughs> so I just want you to know that uh, if you want to go back and watch any of the earlier First Corinthians series, they're all on our website and they're all on YouTube and you can go watch them. But, and we talked at length about the, the issues with sexual immorality. But um, what, what he says here is he says in verse 8, he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. Um, and he's referencing uh, what's recorded in Numbers 25. In Numbers 25, verse 1, it says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the Lord, anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sent a plague and killed over 20,000 of them. Now, the interesting thing if you notice here, they, they were wandering in the desert. Moab was a nation that was there. Uh, they started in going, having inappropriate relations with the, the women of Moab, and it, leaded, it led immediately into idolatry. And this is a pattern that we see in Scripture over and again. Same thing happened with Solomon. Solomon was the wisest king who ever lived, but he got this harem of wives, and, and he started marrying these women from foreign lands, and he was dragged into idol worship. And so uh, there's a reason why God calls us not to be unequally yoked in Scripture, because he understands that, that when, as a believer, if, if you uh, connect yourself to someone who's not a believer, your morals are the ones that are going to be compromised more often than not. 
And the reason that that is is because you began with a compromise. The relationship began with you compromising what you know you're supposed to do and going and being with someone that God has called you not to be with. And so if your relationship begins with compromise, that establishes the pattern of the relationship. So I say that to you in love. Yes, we all know the story of somebody that went missionary dating and it worked out. Right? They, they started dating somebody who wasn't a believer and it worked out and it came, right? But that's not the path that God would call you to unless, unless he's speaking very clearly with some, some very specific things. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, so the cliff notes on, on, on sexual immorality, just to, to keep it simple, right? God, God gave sex as a gift within marriage, um, to, uh, as, a, as a, this symbol of this, this till death do us part bond between two people where two people become one uh, with the possibility of creating children as a form of protection against uh, lust or, or improper desire. That's what it's made for. Any use of it outside of that is sexual immorality, right? Infidelity, adultery, um, sleeping with somebody that you're not married to, all these things are off the path of life. They're not rules meant to limit your happiness and your joy. It's, it's a blueprint of how do you have a life of fulfillment and satisfaction that you use God's good gifts in the way that he intended them. And, and so, so he's pointing them. He's, he's saying, like, I know that you get tempted on this, right? He goes on, and the next two are kind of united together. The, the third one is testing Christ in verse 9. He says, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. This is in Numbers 21. The people complained against the Lord. Man, why, Lord, why did you, why'd you bring us out here in the desert? There's no food. There's nothing to drink. We had it better back in Egypt. We should just find somebody to take us back to Egypt. Now, keep in mind, in Egypt, they were slaves that were being forced to make bricks out of mud with no straw, right? They, they, they were being whipped. They were being killed. Uh, hindsight, you know, sometimes we can clean things up. Man, I wish I could go back to that time. Well, that time probably wasn't that great if you're being honest with yourself, right? But, but sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that. And so they were complaining, they were testing the Lord, and, and God sent these, these uh, fiery snakes in, and then people were getting bit and dying. And so then ultimately he had Moses construct a, a bronze serpent that he held up on a, on a staff, and this was a prefigurement of, of Christ. When people got bit by the snake, they would look to the snake that was lifted up, and they would receive healing. And it was the, the Bible tells us that this is this image of when Christ was lifted up on the cross, that when we who have been bit by sin, when we look to him, that we can be healed because he was afflicted for us. And so it's this, 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 um, this picture of the grace of Jesus even after the people had tested him. But he says, don't test God. And, and, and the fourth one he says is grumbling in verse 10. He says, don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And this happens all throughout the Exodus. Uh, the people continually grumble, but, but one particular place is in Numbers 14. The spies go into the land to look at the, the land that God had promised them. They come back. All the spies are like, man, the people are too big. They're too powerful. We can't. They have fortified cities. We can't do it. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, this land is awesome. There's milk. There's honey. There's grapes as big as your head. Like, yeah, the people are big, but God's with us, so who cares? We got it. And the people heard, and they said, man, let's stone those guys. <laughs> let's stone them and let's go back to Egypt. And, and after God saves them and the people realize, and he says to them, now you're never going to enter in. And the people, oh, no, no, God, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, we're going to go. And so Joshua and Aaron warned them. They're, they're like, no, you, you don't go in. That's not God's plan for you anymore. They didn't listen. They went up and tried to take the land in their own power and they were destroyed. They were, they were beaten back. They were utterly defeated. Man, there's a whole series of things we could dig into there, right? Um, 
when God calls you to something in a season and a time, you need to be obedient to him. Um, and, 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 and the people missed their opportunity, and they grumbled against the Lord. If you look in the Old Testament, God really takes grumbling seriously. That's a big deal. Um, and it's something to think about in your own life, right? Are, are you known as a grumbler? <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that what people think about? Like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, is the glass always half empty? Are you always, uh, you know, complaining about your lot in life? Now, you can be honest with God. Look at the Psalms. The Psalms are full of honest laments, like, right? Like David goes to God. But here's the thing. He's not talking to this person or that person. He's not looking to, he's going directly to God. And he's saying, God, I don't understand this. It seems like the enemies are winning. It seems like I'm persecuted. Like, where are you? I need you to show up. He loves that. God wants us to come to him and be honest with him about our pain because he knows it already anyways. What he doesn't like is when a bunch of us get together and start complaining about how God gave us a raw deal. Ugh, I wish I had what they had. Man, God must have, I guess he prefers some people over it, right? Man, the Bible, it's so clear that God does not like a grumbling voice because it's a question of his character. It's a question of his integrity. It's you're saying, like, God, I don't really believe that you're as good as you say. Or I don't really believe that you love me the way that you say you do. I don't really believe that you're able and powerful to accomplish what you want to accomplish. It's much better to go through hard things in life and say, man, God, this is difficult. I wouldn't have chosen this. I don't want it, but I believe you can do something great even in the midst of this, right? If, if, you, if, if Jesus being beaten and mocked and crucified and put on a cross accomplished the greatest thing that ever happened in our world, then this tough thing that I'm going through, it might have a good outcome too. I don't know. I pray that you'll let me see it, but I'm trusting that you can do it. That's the, the attitude that he wants us to have when we come before him. He says again in verse 11, now these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And again, these are examples. He's, it's a warning to us. It's a call to us to obedience. Verse 12, he says, Now therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And it's this incredible balance in the Christian life. God wants us to have assurance. He wants us to know that we are his children, that we are saved. He doesn't want us to continue to say, like, yeah, I don't know if God's... Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He loves you. He has accepted you. Live in that reality. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you can put your full confidence and trust that you are loved and accepted by God. And you should live in that. But if you get to the point where you begin to take it for granted, if people around you are saying like, hey, like, that doesn't seem to match up with what you profess to believe, take those voices seriously. That's a warning calling you back to your first love, calling you back to where you should be. Verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you hear what he said there? God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what he said. <laughs> but that's how people interpret it all the time, right? There's no Bible verse that says God won't give you more than you can handle. It's something we share to encourage each other all the time. It's just not in the Bible. And in fact, I think God gives us stuff that's more than we can handle all the time because he wants us to learn that we can't handle it and that we need to go to him. We need to lean on him. We, in our own strength and our own ability, cannot handle the things that life throws at us. And so we have to be dependent. We have to learn dependence on our Father. 
But what he does say is that no temptation that is overtaking you, it, it, there's no temptation that is overtaking you that is not common to man. Are you dealing with temptation? You're not the first one to ever experience it. Oh, but there's, there's you know, this person, I'm, I just feel so attracted to them. It's like fate. Right? People have been dealing with that for thousands of years. Right? <laughs> it's a temptation. It's a strong temptation. But it's not the first time in the world that it's happened. It's, it's not one that's uncommon to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. God will never paint you into a corner where you have a choice between two horrible options, both sinful. You always have the option to choose to honor God. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that meant saying, hey God, uh, maybe you're going to have us thrown into the fire. Maybe the, the, the right option for us is to let uh, our bodies be thrown into this fire, but we're not going to bow down and worship this false idol. A lot of times when it feels like you have no options, it's because your, your, your heart's idol has been put on the chopping block. And you've been brought to a point of saying, like, I've either got to let go of this idol or I'm going to go down with it. And it feels like death. It feels destructive. It feels like you're being ripped apart. But what it really is is God in his grace saving you from the thing that has a grip on your heart. Whatever temptation you're struggling with, whatever, whatever, whatever area where you're drawn off of the path, God promises that it's not more than you can bear. If you turn to him, he will give you a way of escape. He will let you out of it. There is always a way to turn to God and end on his path. We're going to include this section that I'm reading here today. It says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Not many of you are being invited to the table of demons, but you actually are. You just maybe don't see it, right? <laughs> if you've been given freedom in Christ, yes, you're free. There's no condemnation for you. But if you get invited to your buddy's bachelor party in Las Vegas and you know what's going to happen there, you've got to ask yourself, like, do, is that something that I still want to partake in? Is that, some, is, that, is that what I'm still called to participate in? Or, or have, I, have I chosen to go a different route in my life? Uh, television, movies, right? If you claim to be a follower of Christ and you're the biggest online advocate on Facebook for a show that... That, that promotes every value that, that goes against the gospel, are, are, are you in some way trying to partake of the table of demons and the table of the Lord? 
And I'm not coming down on a legalistic, judgmental way. I'm not going to give you a, mo a list of approved movies, right? This is an ongoing thing with Trina and I. We'll turn on things on TV. Everything nowadays is TVMA, and I have no idea what that means. Sometimes it means it's fine. Sometimes it means it's way out of control. Sometimes you don't know until you watch a little bit of it, but we have to make those decisions. And I've told you guys before, there's movies I've walked away from, I've like, you know, or series. You know, we're multiple episodes in. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. We each have to make those choices about what we're going to do. But ultimately, it comes down to, do you really believe that God's way is the best? Do you believe that his path, the path of life, is the true way to find peace, assurance, and hope? And if so, will you walk in obedience? Let's pray.